Hey, podcast listeners, this is Steve. Uh, episode number 133. We're talking today to the city manager of North Miami Beach, a little hamlet in North Miami-Dade County. Uh, episode number 133. I think this is a good episode for this reason. We each have to move constantly or near constantly towards implementing new technologies. Mario, throughout his career, has been kind of the tip of the spear on bringing internal processes up to speed to improve efficiencies in local government, as well as external processes to serve our customers, our clients, our citizens, our residents, to serve them better. Uh, He distinguishes between the two, gives a few examples of how he's implemented them. And especially if you're in a small or a mid-sized city, you don't have the luxury of 82 people in your IT department, how do you break that code? How do you implement new apps for your city? How do you implement new um, processes internally to make your city uh, run better, be more efficient, and handle the new challenges? And, And lastly, that standard challenge we have, which is you're putting new technologies in place, let's say for your customers or for your builders, your development community to improve permitting, but yet you still have those who want to do it the old-fashioned way. Uh, Mario Diaz, City of North Miami Beach, episode number 133. This is a good one. Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. Each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government here in the Sunshine State. Today, we're returning back to uh, Miami-Dade County, to North Miami Beach. The city manager, Mario Diaz, uh, I have to say, award-winning city manager, was named as the 2023 Florida City and County Managers Association Rising Star. Mario, Rising Star. We don't get many rising stars. Yeah, by oh, the way, we, you don't look young enough to get a rising star. What's going on here? <laughs> um, you know, it's the um the job definitely ages, but I'm I'm definitely young in, at heart. Um, and it's a pleasure to be on uh with you, Steve. Um, I'm a big fan of the show and and of the uh, our industry and our membership. Um Probably for FC uh, CMA, one of my one of the things that's dear to me is my um, my participation um, on the membership committee. So I want to give a, a big shout out to all my members um, um, on the committee um, for for all their hard work as well. You know what's amazing to me is city manager job is pretty hard. Sometimes could be twenty four seven. If there's a break of a water main uh, at two o'clock in the morning, you're getting a call. Uh, and, uh, usually when things are broken, you get that call. Right. Um, but the, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's yet you guys still volunteer to help other city managers. I love that about the profession that heavy networking. And I think that comes to that because of the transitive nature of the business, but, uh, kudos for you for serving on those committees. No, absolutely. And you're you're absolutely right. The the networking is important. But for me, uh, it, it's more than just the networking. It's it's a support system in, in my life. Um, family has always been the number one thing. And no matter what I've gone through, um, either growing up or throughout my profession, um, 
we all have up and down and uh, moments and some where, you know, we get scared. We we're in a profession right now in which um, even though we all might have contracts and we try to protect ourselves in the long run, um, we work day to day because any given day we can, you know, a, a special meeting can be called. Right. So being able to be there um, and having people who know what we go through on a daily basis, who have seen the issues that we've gone through and having that support system that we can lean on, whether it's just from a friendship level or getting advice from a professional level, it, it's vital. And and as much as the, the family wants to support you, a lot of times they don't quite understand what you're going through. They don't through. know what you're going so through. And people that do. Yeah, what I what I love about it is uh, you could make one phone call as a city manager to a fellow city manager or county administrator, and if they don't know where to f- the answer, they they they're one call away from knowing that. I mean, it's not six degrees of separation. If you need, no, you know, so you call your friend Michael Ploy up in Belusia, you call Howard Tipton now on the southwest coast, and you say, hey. I'm dealing with this CRA issue. And he said, you know, I, I've never dealt with that, but I, let me tell you who has. And and you're yep. literally, the network of FCCMA puts you one phone call away from getting to the right person. And I leverage, I don't leverage, I, I give the credit to FCCMA and all the regional um, chapters um, because just recently, um, a new city manager came down to the Miami-Dade area. Um, and you know, we, our, our local chapter welcomes them um, with arms wide open. We all send emails and phone calls and text messages, welcoming them, letting them know that we're available. And and recently he posted on his LinkedIn that he was shocked at the welcoming because where he came from, it's, it's cutthroat and everybody's trying to undermine and make them look better than the other cities and so forth. And here, we're all just trying to help each other. Right. And I think that's throughout the entire state that I've had my experience with. So it's Florida's a little bit different. You know, we're, we're here to support. And, and that's so important um, during these times when, when we're going through, because landscape of local government has changed, um, you know, throughout time. Yes. But I would say more so in the last 10 years, we're, we're working through um, things that we haven't really had to deal with in the past. And, and now they're, Vital. No, and you have you know different types of cities with different types of problems. Whether you have a Polk County city that's expected to grow by a hundred percent in the next five years, or you have a fully developed out city like North Miami Beach that you have you have one big development coming in, but by basically by and large you're you're largely built out, and you have different challenges, different problems. Whether it's infrastructure rebuilding, mm-hmm. uh, you have a lot of canals in your district. And so uh, climate change and global, you know, rising seas, people are getting more and more water into their backyards. Absolutely. You've got to deal with that. I know, I love this statistic that in Venice, there are 37 miles of navigable canals. In Fort Lauderdale, there are 1200 miles of navigable canals. So you're, you're dealing with a very different kind of challenge, mm-hmm. but but it's universal. But there's always a city manager somewhere in the process with 411 cities that has experienced what you're going through. Absolutely. And and Craig, uh, big shout out to him as well. Um, city manager over at um at Fort Lauderdale. He did an amazing uh job when they recently had the the floods um this past year. Yeah. Um and you know there was no casualties and they rescued um 
dozens, if not hundreds of people that were stranded during those floods, um, they were able to rescue and there were no casualties. And, and you talk about climate change, we all throughout the state are going through that, right? We, we see the hurricanes intensifying, we see king tides, we've seen the, the, the algae blooms going through and we've all had to adjust because not only does that affect our day-to-day, but that also affects the tourism within the state, which then that, that's all a trickle down, right? And so a large portion of the state's economy is based on tourism. Um, and so we need to be able to protect our, um, our vital resource, uh, our, our climate, our, our environment, um, because it, it changes the way we do business on a day-to-day and it changes the quality of life for all of our residents and our stakeholders. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to make sure that we give them the most um, optimized, the most um, efficient, the most effective. You can use all these buzzwords, right? Uh, but we're here to kind of manage what that quality of life is for everybody, visitors, and it's residents, an interesting balance. You have both short-term issues and long-term issues. You have yeah. highly localized issues like a zoning or a light change or a roundabout you're trying to put in, yet you also have long-term issues you've got to deal with as well. So it's long and short, big and little, all rolled up into one. you got to take care of the day today, but you also have to plan for tomorrow, and that's that's part of the challenge. And Which, which brings me to a subject I really want to explore with you, Mario. Um, you throughout your career, you've been sort of um, you have a, a number of different things you do, as with most city managers. But moving people to new technology, you had an employee, you moved to web-based technology, you implemented an app for for, for people who need rides. Uh, what what challenges do you see getting? You know, we have to move to the modern age, and 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 technologies are moving as quickly as we can keep up. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about AI in a second. But as you've implemented new technologies into your workflow, what challenges have you seen, and how how have you addressed them and overcome them? You know, um, there are a lot of different opportunities and a lot of different solutions um, to the problems or the um, the opportunities that we have in front of us, right? Out of necessity, I've needed to see what would bring me the most efficient and effective methods to deal with whatever um, the municipalities that I've worked with or the government agencies that I've worked with, they have. In most um, locations that I've been at, we've had very limited resources for, um, for staffing. Um, for example, Biscayne Park, um, one of the most recent ones, you only had 20 employees and the majority of those employees were police officers or a, uh, a crew of five public work um, members that were out in the field trying to maintain um, the aesthetics of, of the village. So that already takes up the majority. So I needed to find different ways to accomplish the goals. And the goals are what is expected of government, what is expected of the service that is provided. Although we are the public sector, we are competing with the private sector in this regard. You have residents who are used to, especially now post-COVID, that they can get on their phone and with a few touches of their screen, they are able to have groceries delivered to them. They're able to have meals delivered to them. They can have whatever type of purchase they make on on Amazon or any of those other type of apps delivered the same day um, at this point. 
And so when they go and they're looking for a building permit or they need a transit ride or they need something that is typically provided by a municipality or a county or the state, they're expecting the same level of service and the same immediacy that they get from the private sector. And that becomes very challenging for us. So we've had to take opportunities to look at how we can scale those things up with reasonable expectation, of course, because there's only so much that we have to, and we do have yeah, especially in a small guidelines. community, you don't have the bandwidth or the infrastructure to put in place. Because you're right, we're, you're absolutely right. We're so used to getting in our car, the car automatically talks to our phone, automatically goes to Bluetooth, automatically puts on your music or your book on tape or your podcast or your phone, whatever you're doing. And yet, I, I never thought of it that way, Mario, that that the expectation of seamless technology is now upon us. It, you, you can literally butt dial and order something to eat. <laughs> you could put the phone in yes. your pocket and accidentally order a box of tissues to be delivered to your house the next day. And when I go to my city government's website, and I got to be honest with you, I'm a little, I've been a little critical of my own city when I have to do stuff online. I'm like, oh, this thing's so awkward. It takes me 17 keystrokes to get to where I need to go, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're right. That's It's not a direct competition, but it's a competition of expectations. And how do you meet those expectations? And then, and then you have um, unfunded mandates from the state legislation because they're looking at this in the same manner, right? They're hearing from their residents who are absolutely frustrated that they can order um, or even sell a house online and never have to like show up anywhere, right? They don't even have to actually sign the paper. They can do it on their phone or on a computer, buy a house, buy a car, all those type of things. Yet to obtain a building permit to re-roof or to do anything on the house, you need to, in most cases throughout the state, you need to go to a location, fill out paperwork, turn in a bunch of different paperwork, go somewhere else. And it could take you months before you get a permit, which is why now in the state of Florida, um, they're pushing all levels of government to have building permits online. And that's one of the first things that I needed to find a way and implement in, like, for example, Biscayne Park. Um, everything was a complete uh, manual paper process. It was taking several months to obtain even a simple fence permit um, simply because we would get papers um, and applications. They would have to be copied multiple times. Then it would go to the reviewer who would have to you know, sign off. If there were comments, it would have to go back. It would go to the next inspector or the plan reviewer over on the building side. And it has to be that same bundle because it wasn't electronic. And so I said, look, we're spending way too much time. We're having way too many complaints. And with the new state statutes, we're actually outside of statute uh, because we're not meeting the, the requirements that we're supposed to do. So that paper um, process is a linear process where it's mm -hmm. going to go from Department A to Department B to Department C. Correct. When you do it electronically, you can send it out to everybody at the same time. They could sign off, it comes back on a, on a direct that can be edited by everybody. And you could just by going from a linear process to a serial process alone will, will speed things up. Are there products out there that cities can now purchase downloads? You don't have to, you know, we got 411 municipalities. This, is, this isn't a problem per se for Orlando or Tampa or Jacksonville, because they have, you know, 20,000 staff and they have departments, IT departments. 
But for smaller municipalities, which uh, I'm going to quote Lynn Tipton and probably get it wrong, the average size of the average city in Florida is about 8,000 people. So you're only talking several dozen staff. Are there products, off-the-shelf products that a city can purchase to facilitate these transitions? Uh, yes and no is is the answer. And, and quite often, I feel like a lawyer saying yes and no at the same time. Um, there are a lot of software opportunities um, that, that are available to municipalities. Um, sometimes it feels like there's too many options. Um, you have very large um, companies that, that have it, and, and I'm not going to name any um, right now, um, but most of the cities have some of these large um, software companies in some capacity, especially in the finance department and so yeah. forth. Um, but there are opportunities to do that. And then you have smaller, um, you have some companies that actually, in many cities, they outsource entire departments, right? So you have some of those companies who do the outsourcing for cities for the entire building department and planning department and code and all that. They have their own software that they've developed as well. Oh. And so there's no reason that a municipality can't move to an all electronic format. It's one of the things that I've done in the past. Uh, at Biscayne Park, I did it within nine months. Um, but it was because we had so we had a much more control because we didn't have the expanse amount of um, of projects and processes that cities like Orlando or Miami, Miami-Dade County or anything like that may have. Right. So we were very limited. And we basically knew it was, you know, uh, new construction. It was re-roofing, driveways, fences, little things like that, pools, um, things like that. So we were able to move that pretty quickly and we got our building official involved and we were able to control that with uh, with the vendor that we used, and and I was able to get everything up and running in nine months. The great thing about many of these softwares, um, and why I'm a big advocate to moving into that digital format, is because as things didn't work, we were able to adjust on the fly. I remember being um, being away for for several days, and there was a problem with the workflow and um, something wasn't working while someone was trying to obtain a permit, they were able to get a hold of me. And I said, wait, that's a quick fix. I can log in through the web base. And I wasn't anywhere in town, but I went on um, onto a computer, logged in, was able to change that that workflow so that they can submit the, 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 perper, the, the, the correct information and it was taken care of. And what that ended up doing, what that ends up doing is gives the cities a lot of control to make sure that it is more convenient and instead of saying in that linear process with a with manual paper process of you can only come during working hours Monday through Friday, we had actually a spike of permit applications Saturdays and Sundays because now people aren't working. They're not worried the about doesn't sleep. Yeah, yeah. The computer yeah, doesn't sleep. Several things I want to explore about that. One is consumer acceptance and variety. But secondly, um, obviously, there's downsides. People think, oh, we've automated it, so we don't need the staff. But you have hackers, you have legal protections, you have all these other mm -hmm. avenues you have to move into. But let me start with consumer acceptance, because, you know, you have a background in communications. Uh, I noted, uh, and I'll talk about this later, yes. you won a, a national PR award. Congratulations in 2015. <laughs> Uh, and in the communications world, which is part of my world, we have such a variety of ways now to reach people, targeted digital, 
television. When I say television, television isn't television anymore. It's network, it's cable, it's streaming, it's the wide variety of streaming services as across uh, cross device uh, ways to reach people. Um, and so in, in the technology world, so you're implementing a new permitting process. Let's just use that for a second. Your customer there is not the average Joe, right? It's the developing community. It's the the builders, the general contractors, et cetera, who apply for these permits. Were they on board? I mean, is are we there where it's universally accepted or do you have to keep in place still the, the print version? Because I think that's a, a critical question. Do you have to have redundancy? Uh, obviously you do during development, but once you're fully implemented, can you, do you still have to have the paper process or do you get rid of that? So I think every community is going to be, um, unique as to what their needs are and what their community is made up of. I will tell you from my experience, the development community, that industry is clamoring for us to go hundred percent digital because it makes their job a lot easier. Um, the expediters, they would rather log on to the system, find out where it is and make a phone call if they need to, or communicate because a lot of these systems allow you to communicate with the plan reviewers directly through a chat feature, um, as opposed to having to pick up, go visit what's going on, where, you know, and, and walking that through. So right. from an industry standpoint, they're, they're clamoring for us to move this faster um, because it makes their job easier to do. From and, and you're, like you said, it's a 24-7 opportunity. So what they couldn't do on Friday, they can still continue Saturday or Sunday to, to be submitting well, that absolutely. information. You can get up Saturday morning, use. grab your coffee, and you have you know 12 projects going on. You can say, let me check on where all my permits are. You can just log can, in and there's a status. Okay, okay, okay. I make a note. Okay, I got to call. But in the past, you'd have to call you know Howard in whatever. Right. Stand I up, think wait for him to call you back. Uh, I think the overall um, reluctance that that I've experienced is within the community. The more of the do-it-yourselfer um, who's submitting the application um, or the homeowner that's submitting the application because they were told it's going to be cheaper if you do the permit than if the vendor has to do the permit who's going to do the work. Um, and so they, because they don't quite understand the, the process overall to begin with, um, sometimes they don't understand the question that's being asked, right? Like what classification is the vendor? Is it a, a class four or class three? And they're like, huh? So what we needed to do in our instance is we still accepted a paper. If you wanted to come in and and, and accept that, um, we would accept it. And then our clerk would push that onto the, the digital format. Right. Um, some people just aren't good with computers or some don't have access yeah. to a computer. And, uh, so, and so, yeah, I guess what you're saying is the businesses are on board. It's when you yeah. get to the consumer level that you, you're going to have a more variety. Right. And and as we've heard in, in not only webinars with FCCMA, but even in the national ICMA level, um, we now have um, I think it's four or five different generations in the workforce which now in in my mind, what that told me is that we now have any anywhere between four to six different generations that government needs to have a touch point with. And so you might have someone who's like, look, I'm, I've never needed to use computers even in my professional life. 
And now you're telling me that I can only ask for a permit to redo my driveway if I log on. Like, I don't do those things. So we needed to make sure that we had the proper um, support system for everybody. And for some, I don't even want to talk to anybody. Just let me go online and do what I got to do. And I'm fine. And we've gotten a lot of that. But we still need to support those that needed that extra um, um, handholding through that process so to make sure that everybody receives the same quality of service um, or for what they need from the government. And that's just one aspect. When you're also talking about transit service, you know, in, in every municipality that I've been with, we've implemented an on-demand transit service. And recently, um, in, the, in my last two um, stops, we were able to get a DOT transit service grant for these um, services. And this service, they have an app that allows them to pick people up and drop them off anywhere within the designated area that they've um, that they've marked. But the the most users that I've seen that I've needed it are more our elderly community who no longer feel safe driving by themselves, and so now they have this opportunity that you know their doctor is a few blocks away or their pharmacy is a few blocks away. And they don't want to depend on their friend or their their child or their grandchildren. They still want a sense of independence. They want that independence, exactly. Kind of service is important to them, but they're the least likely to know how to use, you know, have an app or even have a smartphone. They may still have, are are there still any flip phones left? (laughs) Yeah, no. And and those flip phones are coming back, as a matter of fact. You know, they're they're now popular again. But the, the point is... So when we implemented this, we made sure that our vendors had a call-in number because they felt comfortable calling in a number and that they had a customer service component to it that, yes, not a problem. What is your name? Where are you? Where do you want to go? Is this the pharmacy you want to go to? Yes, that one's just by my house. Okay, perfect. Our driver is going there, and then the driver would be able to to handle what they needed. And all of that is still logged in digitally. um, through the app, but you had someone do it for for that person. So, so, so what it I'm really learning depends here is on you can move to the new technology, but there's going to always be. You know, it's ironic when I was working on my master's degree, um, I, I, I was going to do a thesis on diffusion uh, of technology innovations. Was was what I was working and using the the old Rogers and Shoemaker model. And the, the, there's the technophiles, the people who would go out and buy the newest, coolest. Greatest thing. This will age me a little bit. It was about people who were buying, uh, shifting from um, uh, VHS and A-Track to more of a digital format. But then you have the laggards. And who tend to be the laggards? They tend to be older, lower income, lower education folks. And, And the irony here is they're the ones most in need of many of these services that you're trying to streamline and make more efficient we are trying to streamline, make more efficient through the use of uh, e-technologies. So you can do that on the back of the end of the house, right? You know, internally, but there's going to be some people who won't ever use an app, won't know how to right. log onto a computer. So you're what you're saying is you have to facilitate that. You have to still have people willing to do that. Which, by the way, pet peeve. You know, airlines, uh, you can't call an airline without them telling you 78 times, you can use our app, you can go to our website, you can do all this online, even when you can't, right? Like if you have a, a triple trip, and you got to go A, B, C, and D, uh, you can't do that online. And they're always telling you, go online, go online. annoying as hell. <laughs> well, you know, the F, 
uh, the airlines, what they need to do is they got to start looking at us city managers to see how they can figure it out because we'll 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 do it for them. That's exactly um, right. That's exactly right. But one aspect, Steve, that I really wanted to touch on because I know we've really been talking quite a lot about the external focus on our constituents, which ultimately is who we're accountable to. But one thing for me that's so important is overall leadership. And that also looks um, internally as well. And what these systems have been able to do has really been able to, um, from my experience, to really tap into a, a new level of service from our own team. Um, I want to give you a quick example. I had a building clerk um, who I just, they started off strong. You know, they were passionate in, when they got into the job at first. And and then obviously in, in our in our industry, we see burnout very quickly. And in a small location, you wear a lot of hats, right? And it's usually a department of one. And so they got burned out pretty quick and their their performance started to decline very rapidly um, to the point where in building as, as city managers and assistant city managers and departments, we all know if to run a city, you need to make sure that the water is flowing, the garbage being picked up and that your building department is issuing those permits so that people can, can, uh, can improve their lives how, how they want. And when one of those starts to fail, there's going to be a, a large outcry. And I started to hear that. What I what I saw was that the system was set up for her to fail because it was all that linear. And I kept saying, you got to give me a little bit of time because I will prove to you that she's an amazing employee and I will prove it. And they said, OK, Mario, we're going to see you're going to use up a lot of your quote unquote political capital on this and on this program. And we're, we're going to see. And once I was able to implement that program and it went on, all of a sudden, she started to shine again because now the system was set up that she can better manage. She didn't have this linear project, um, um, process in place. People were being held accountable. The reviews were being done much quicker because they were all online as well. So we were able to get the, the proper plan reviewers to do it. They can do it much more convenient. We can bring in more people to help on reviews. And all of a sudden that department started turning around where we started hearing the compliments again, like, oh, wow, this is great. You know, we're getting a lot of feedback. I can talk to the people immediately. You know, we're, we're starting to see that benefit as well. And, and I think from as, as city managers, when we have an opportunity to improve a process, whether it's a, a process like using technology to improve the, the building department, uh, the transit, um, whether it's our finance department, AI is now going crazy throughout all of the different industries and, and, and our IT departments are trying to figure out how we can start using this within local government. Right. My focus is finding how does this improve our employees' day-to-day -day operations? Because now we can start looking at underperforming employees change a little bit where all of a sudden they can be high performers again. And, and that makes a huge difference because that starts affecting the lives of our own staff and they feel the support from us as they're giving me the resources and the tools to do the job better. So and, I, well, and I, to I be like recognized for that. Yeah. You're, so what you're saying is on one hand, the internalization of new technologies to improve the processes, to improve the work environment, to improve the workflow, and to make people's lives easier and better, 
On the other hand, we were talking about <clears throat> new technologies to improve customer service, right? The outward facing technologies. And you're talking here also about the, the inward facing technologies, recognizing that, you know, and it's funny, Mario, because we live now in a world, a post-technology world. I don't, I don't mean post-technology, meaning uh, anti-technology, but post-technological innovation. We're, there's so much innovation going on. We have to adapt and move on using technologies you just don't have look look what we're doing right here yeah. uh you're sitting in north miami beach i'm sitting in tallahassee florida uh someone is probably going to be listening to this while driving to work in uh hillsborough county or okaloosa county and uh that's an amazing use of the technology right and it's almost seen. or they could be listening from the state of washington or somewhere overseas as well i mean we have the potential to reach so many um, not only here with this podcast, which um, is always amazing, I'm always a big fan of, um, but also with the services that we provide. Florida is a leading state, not only in our country, but in the nation. We have just down down the street from us, and uh, or I say down the street, but it's really up the state. We have some amazing things that are being incorporated with AI uh, we now have AI being brought into plan reviews um, to see if, this, if it matches zoning codes for each on. We have individuals who have been able to lead their organization and their team um, to absolutely say, you know what, it's okay to try something new. And we can do that. We can mitigate risk and still try something new to see if this will, will work. We have amazing cities. Um, locally down here, um, and I'm, I'm not going to go into a lot of the examples because I always fear that I'm going to miss out on on highlighting someone. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm always a big fan, but you start seeing what everybody's doing. You go to the FCCMA Winter um, Symposium and you go to their annual uh, conference as well, and you start listening to what all of these other cities have been doing. Just down the street south of me, um, I have a municipality who on, on the um, the CRS um, program that the state has that depending on what the city does with their building department and so forth, they can save, uh, they get a rating. And the lower the rating, the higher the uh, insurance discount their residents can get. I've got a city who's now, I, I believe, rated uh, three out of 10, right? And so that three ranking gives a huge property insurance discount for the residents. And they're a small little city. And so there are so many amazing examples that we have throughout the state that FCCMA is able to start putting these components together. I'm learning every day from different opportunities that we can take advantage of and to really start saying, okay, let's see how this can match and, and, and use this here. We're looking at um, Fort Lauderdale, for example, here at North Miami Beach and what they've done with their strategic plan and how they've really incorporated community participation. And I'm, I'm pushing to move that for um, North Miami Beach. I then took a look at the city of Doral um, here in, in Miami-Dade County as well. And they did an economic uh, um, competitive and, and feasibility study, which we're pushing as well here. So we're, it's funny in all these places, I, I, I've used an analogy um, quite often and, and it is, changing the bath towels while taking a shower. 
right? And and others, and I and I think Steve in, in our um conversation um, I, I on the changing the blade on the lawnmower while the lawnmower is running. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> so right? And it's, <laughs> you know, we, we need to take a look at what those opportunities are because no one is gonna say, you know what, you're right. I know North Miami Beach has been around for a hundred years now, and we're hitting our our hundred year mark in twenty six. So it's like, you know what? You guys can shut down for a year, reset everything, and come back, and then you know start working again. We don't have that opportunity. We still need to provide you know safety, a community safety protocols. We still need to be able to provide water. We still need to be able to provide. So none of these things stop just because we need to reimagine how the process and and, and the workflow goes. And when you start looking around, sometimes you're the first, but oftentimes, even when you are the first, you're learning from what other people have been able to do absolutely, and absolutely. expanding upon that. We're, and, we're working and that's with, the great thing about this. We're working up in Fort Pierce with the Fort Pierce Utility Authority. There's a water treatment plant on the Indian River Lagoon, which you don't have to be an environmental scientist to know that's probably not a great thing. And mm-hmm. uh, we're moving it way inland. And when I first started working on the project, I was, you know, very exciting project, very thrilled to see it coming to fruition. We'll build a new plant. And that's all fine and dandy. But to your point about uh, things have to keep running, at some point, when we hook up the new plant and get it going, we have to transition all the piping, all the roads, all the water flow from toilets to road runoff to channel that water from going to the east under the Indian River Lagoon, piped into the water treatment plant, to the west, the southwest part of Fort Pierce, into the new treatment plant. That's a great example. You can't just say, okay, everybody, don't flush your toilets or drink any water for the next 48 hours while we make the transition. You've got to do it while they're still flushing toilets, right? And brushing their teeth and and the rain comes and, you know, the summer storms, et cetera. So yeah, and the technological um, uh, metaphor is is perfect in that regard. You have to make these transitions while still providing the services. I've been on this rant, Mario, about you know we're we're heading towards another government shutdown, and I'm like, we have to stop calling it a federal government shutdown. We're not recalling all of our uh, nuclear submarines. We're not shutting down all the federal roads. It's a it, we're not shutting down our airports. It's a government slowdown. But and then also Joe can say, imagine for a moment if a city, you know, you had a, a budget dispute within your city and said that, that we're shutting down the city for a few days. People would lose their minds. Right. Mm-hmm. Traffic lights wouldn't work. Toilets wouldn't flush. Water wouldn't come out. I mean, police wouldn't respond to 911 calls. Firefighters wouldn't respond to, you know, local emergencies, all those things. So you don't have that opportunity to ever shut things down. Oh. Correct. No, you don't. And and you always got to be forward looking. And that's the hard part uh, because we get so tunneled vision in what we're facing in our community. Um, and, and that's what we need to focus on. Right. Because that's what pays our bills. Right. That's, no, yeah, that's you you got to handle the alligator down. closest to the boat while steering the boat for long range planning. Right. You know, you have to... Correct. And and that's why for me, um, this organization and our and our regional organization, I'm, I'm on the executive board for the Miami-Dade. Um, managers um, association. Uh, I'm also on on the board now. I, I might be on a, a little bit too many boards. I'm also on the board for the local uh, government Hispanic network, which is uh, another national um, association. I do it because 
I need to keep the pulse on what are the best practices, not only locally, regionally, statewide, but even nationally as well. Um, because I can become in that tunnel and just look at NMB has this issue. I need to fix this issue. I have this budget constraint yeah. or we have this budget process. And sometimes you, you then look up and you realize this city or this county has now reimagined what the budgeting process looks like. And if we can do that, that could solve so much and even become more accountable and transparent to our community. You know, you, that's why these me. things are so important. No, and what just dawned on me is when you're a smaller city manager, small to medium-sized city manager, you have to belong to those boards. You have to be engaged at that level because those you're not going to be able to develop these things in-house, right? No. I'm no. sure, you know, Buddy Dyer, mayor of uh, Orlando, can, can assign a team of five people to develop a new app specific for the city of Orlando, right? Well, um, I'll give you an example, Steve. Um, can't. <laughs> No, I'll give you an example. Um, so Miami-Dade County has an internal um, IT department and even like development team. Um, Miami-Dade County has over, I think, 26,000 employees. Um, I was speaking to, to a colleague and a friend of mine, and he's on the financial side over in within the county. And at one point, he oversaw, he was like the finance director or some equivalents for the IT department. His budget at Miami-Dade County morphed my entire city budget here at North Miami Beach. And and it was like, wait a minute, what? And he goes, yeah. So my general fund budget here at North Miami Beach is about, you know, 67 to $70 million. Um, they had over $80 million at one point. In their IT department alone. Yeah. In their IT department alone. And so, yeah, they developed their own building uh, um permit application online. They developed their own transit service app. They developed their own um, everything online. Um, they could do their own Zoom if they wanted to. They just need the project and the funds and they can create it. I don't have those options, right? right? So I can say, wow, Miami-Dade County did that really well. I could either partner with them and get into an MOU to use theirs, or I could say, this is the result I want. Look in the private sector and be able to find what we need there. But the fact is, I was able to identify a solution that could become available to my constituencies, and I'm not the one that had to come up with the idea. I was able to see what my colleagues were able to do somewhere else that did have those resources really that weren't point. available to both, them. Both for external communications and tech, new tech implementation TikTok and internally. Um, so I want to wrap up. We're, we're a little bit over time, and so as you know, I'm a liar. I promised you would only be 30 to 35 minutes and we're well past that, but I want well, to- I knew, I knew you didn't speak to me too often before. So I was like, uh, I can go on for hours if it gives me the opportunity. No, it's it's uh, fascinating. I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, you know, as the host, you're supposed to be ready to, you know, pop in, you know, interesting questions and you're talking and I'm like, forgetting that I'm supposed to be hosting this because I'm so interested in what you're saying. I'm like, oh, wait, 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 I got to ask a question. I got to sound smart for a second here. Um, I want to, I want to, Kudos. Uh, in 2015, you won a National PR News Community Relations Award. Quick 30, 40 seconds about what was that award about? So that was when I was with the Miami Data Expressway Authority, uh, which was a local transportation uh, state agency um, down in Miami Dade. Now, now the subject of some controversy because the state shut it down, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm no longer there. Um, but um, 
essentially what we ended up doing is we created a, a rebate program. And I, as the communications director or official title was public information manager, but as the communications director, um, I leveraged our department and our resources and worked with our finance department and the operations department to create this uh, rebate. And then we needed to be able to communicate what this meant for everybody. So we put we put an entire um, um, campaign together. We did media blitz. We did town halls. We did um, mailers. We did advertising uh, on all media from new media, which is the social media platforms, which back then we back think in 2015, it was a new medium. Yeah. You know, Facebook was still relatively new and we needed to geo target all that to radio advertising, to print media. And we were able to, within our, our first or second year, we were able to identify and obtain 50% of our unique customers on our system was enrolled within the program. And now that program, I, I believe, is now even on the Florida Turnpike and it's statewide, and um, or, or at least in Miami-Dade, like all of the toll agencies have it. I think it's through SunPass now uh, because of all the different changes that happen at the state level. But regardless, that was kind of like the, the, um, the, the child. So our team, um, and it's not just me, it wasn't a Mario Diaz award, it was the, the agency who won the award yeah. for community outreach from, from a local government. You know what I, what I liked about those PR awards? We won the Dick Pope Award uh, several years back, and what I liked about that and what I hear what you're saying is measurable results, a pre-test mm -hmm. and a post-test after you did it, because frankly, let's face it, otherwise it's just, oh, that was really cool, that was really pretty. We were competing yeah. against the Super Bowl in Jacksonville, and we won our award was on garbage transfer. Uh, how how exciting was that? But as as a city manager, you know, if if the garbage breaks down, it's important. More people get fired over that. And we we did a job yes. from backdoor service twice a week to roll out your own can once a week, and we didn't have any complaints. We did it seamlessly. We didn't raise rates. We increased. Uh, garbage uh, recycling consumption by 30%. And they love those metrics. And sound like you guys had really good metrics. Well, last question. Um, you're in North Miami Beach. Tell us something cool about North Miami Beach for our listeners to say, oh, now I know a little bit more about something about my state. You know, North Miami Beach is one of the most diverse cities that I've ever had the pleasure of working in. Um, Miami-Dade alone is, is a very diverse neighborhood, but North Miami Beach is, is so um, unique. We have one of the largest uh, concentrated populations of Hasidic um, Jewish culture within the city. Uh, we have a very large um, Hispanic and a very large Haitian community as well. Um, we are such a mix, and that has created a community. I just started uh, recently, what I call a listening tour. Um, I came into the city during the budget season, so I had I was almost like a hermit crab. And now that that is kind of over with, I've started going out to the various different neighborhoods um, just to sit down in a room and get to know the community and see what they. And there's one common theme from everybody. It is my connection to my neighbors is so important. And we live in, in a very urbanized area where oftentimes people don't know who their neighbors are, right? 
And even like, I've been living here for two years and I know so-and-so and she helps me with my kids and I help her with her kids. And we're really part of this community. And, and seeing that where people come from so many different places um, and have different cultural experiences all coming together as one community to help each other out. I've never seen it to that level. And North Miami Beach has been such a shining star um, in that kind of field that I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that um, during my time here, we can really make this shine brightly. Politics um, has really uh, dampened uh, throughout our country. Um, and NMB is no exception, but the fabric of who we are is is absolutely outstanding. And that's what I'm hoping to really bring to to light for for everybody else to see and, and to be not only a, a regional and a state, but a national model of what a, a great urban community can be. I love that. I love that. Mario Diaz, uh, thank you so much for being on. Uh, Mario Diaz, city manager from North Miami Beach, award winning. City, <laughs> Beach. I've always had a great team to help support that. <laughs> a humble award, classic. You've heard me say it a thousand times. It's the city manager. They do great things. They do hard work. They meet incredible challenges, and they don't want the credit. And that goes to the mayor. That goes to the staff. And the the, the man in the middle is Mario Diaz. Uh, Mario, thanks again for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I it's been a fun time. Likewise, likewise, folks. This is Steve Van Cor. And this has been the FCC May Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Now, if you have a guest you would like to recommend to be on the show, uh, I don't know if you're going to get one as good as Mario, but you can send me an email at svancor at vancorjones.com, or you can message FCCMA on Facebook. Thanks for being with us. Really appreciate it.